All copies. Destroy them. This is episode 40 of They're All Going to Laugh at Him. I'm Alex Sprague. And I'm Jess Geyer. Alex, what did we watch today? We watched the movie Jack and Jill. Something a lot of people have been waiting very, very maybe excitedly for, I think. Uh, I, I was awaiting it very nervously. This was one of the ones I was nervous about going into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I've been saying for a while that I think it might be the most pivotal episode of this show. That's true, and like you said a lot of very ominous things about it, so I was kind of worried. Uh, but we are, this is a podcast uh, where we're watching all 60 Adam Sandler adjacent movies in a row every day, and we're podcasting about it. Yeah, this is day 40, or at, well, 41, because we've recorded an episode zero. So we're two-thirds of the way there. And, and yeah, a- Alex, why are we doing this? You have shown me the funny, but what good is the funny? To a creature who will never do better than giggle? Of all the cruel bastards who've badgered and battered me, you are the coolest of all. Can't you see what your gentle insanities do to me? Rob me of anger and give me despair? Blows and abuse I can take and give back again? Tenderness I cannot bear, so please torture me now with your sweet Sandman no more. I am no one. I am nothing. I am only Sandy the whore. And I ask this question, Don. Does Adam Sandler deserve all the hate? Now, I know for a fact that is from uh, Man of La Mancha, the musical, and that is one of Dulcinea slash Aldonza's parts, because I gave you that. (laughs) Yes, because I don't know musicals super well. And this is the first time I've looked for outside help. Um, And the reason I wanted a little more production value is we're about to claim something no one has ever claimed before. Uh Uh-huh. This is not only the pivotal Adam Sandler movie, it's a good Adam Sandler movie, and everyone's actually wrong. Everyone is wrong. You you heard it here, folks. Uh, this is a podcast episode where we are going to defend the artistry of Jack and Jill, the 2011 movie. It is uh, performance theater in a way we haven't seen before. Mm-hmm. This is a four-star Sandlayer film. Not because it stars two Adam Sandlers. I know that's what everyone's thinking. It's a lame joke. It's because it stars Adam Sandler. It's written by Adam Sandler. It's produced by Happy Masson. And it's about Adam Sandler. Yeah, it's it's more about Adam Sandler than what you thought Funny People was going to be about. Adam this, Sandler. This is what at Funny People was supposed to be, basically. Yes. This is the non-Judd Apatow Funny People. Yes. It is. Sandler's, I, honestly, it's, it's the ego, super ego, and id put into a film about what he believes filmmaking's about, and then focused through this idea of hurting the people who have to watch this movie that are critics because they're going to hate it and then there will be a few people who have sat through all this stuff and understand what he's saying and go you know what it's pretty good yeah i mean is this a movie this is what i keep asking myself because while i was watching it i found myself not only entertained but like like understanding the film and i'm wondering if this is a movie that either you have to have been like super involved with all of this Happy Madison stuff, or like us, you have to have watched every single one of these movies in a row to or, get it. Like us, 
have watched these movies without the eye of hatred. I mean, that's all it takes, I think, to understand the core concepts of this movie is, I didn't come here to hate this movie. I have not been able to find a critic who seemingly gave this a fair shot. Um, I'm actually going to break down one of those critics' uh, opinions of the movie later. That critic is Red Letter Media. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, half in the bag. Uh, mm-hmm. Who, wow. I've only ever seen that video by them, but I hope that's not the standard they put out. Because it was real bad. That's not journalism. I don't think it's supposed to be. But it's barely anything. And the really, like... <laughs> They, they have a fundamental misunderstanding of comedy, which I found interesting. But while talking about critics, what do you think the critics gave this movie? And what do you think the audience score is? Uh, 0%, 14%. 3% from critics. Actually a little higher than we expected. And a 36 from the audience. Meaning, there's some people out there who either just thought it wasn't as bad as uh, all the hype. Or generally maybe understand what we're getting at here. I'm shocked. This is the first time I've been shocked that it's so high. The 3% from critics does not stun me whatsoever mm-hmm. because I think that this movie was specifically made as a fuck you to critics. Yes, and very much so. Not necessarily in the way that everybody talks about this movie as, because a lot of people frame this movie as Adam Sandler wanted to make a really bad movie because people didn't like such and such movie. I, I think maybe possibly that's part of it, but I well, think it's, it, it is it's, part of it, I think. It, it is the idea that something like funny people, um, and we're going to talk about this a lot, um, but Adam Sandler famously said, like, if funny people doesn't get nominated for an Oscar, I'm going to make a re- like the worst movie of all time. And this is that movie, but honestly, they don't understand the fact that he is in on these jokes. Well, no, that's what I was going to say. It's, yeah. not, a, it's not a fuck you to his audience. It's not... Yes. It's not, like, for people who actually like his movies to say, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he's done this to us. It's specifically for critics and not just professional ones, but for the ones that I think it's Oh, it's, really, it's for the internet shitters, for sure. They make a point of that. It's for the people who say stuff like, I love Happy Madison and, uh, sorry, Billy, Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore, but everything else he's ever done is shit. It's, yes. This movie is for those people and specifically critiques them in the best way because they won't understand that it's a critique on them specifically. And I love that. Yeah. I find it just absolutely great in that sense. Um, I laughed 36 times in this movie. It, it wasn't the funniest movies ever put out, without a doubt. I don't really no. laugh at poop humor. Um, there's a little bit of that in. There's a bunch of uh, childish humor. But, like, there's some interesting things put in there. But because I want to talk about this so much, can you recap the movie real quick? I will. I would be glad to recap the plot. Um, The movie opens with identical twins talking about themselves, kind of like interview style. Uh, Very similar to, I have to say, going overboard when they talk to the models or the pageant girls. Which I believe is on purpose, and we'll get to I, more. <laughs> I think so as well. Uh, and then there's family footage. It's like fake family footage of twin babies um, as they grow up. And these, this is Jack and Jill. Uh, the boy becomes kind of popular, while the girl is still nerdy and seemingly jealous and very attached to him. Uh, so we have Jack Sendelstein, who is played by Adam Sandler, of course. Um, and he is a commercial director and... Uh, 
when we see him, he's he's filming a commercial for Pepto Bismol uh, with Regis Philbin, right? Yes. Um, and we learned that Dunkin' Donuts Dunkin' Donuts wants to get Al Pacino to be in their news commercial for the Dunkachino, but everyone agrees that this is nearly an impossible task. They don't think they're going to get someone serious like Al Pacino to do this Dunkin' Donuts commercial. Yeah, very specifically, someone as prestigious as Al Pacino wouldn't be in something so dumb. Yes. Uh, Jack's twin sister, Jill, will be coming into town for Thanksgiving, and Jack is not looking forward to it at all. Jill is, of course, also played by Adam Sandler, uh, and she really gets on Jack's nerves. But the thing is, Jack's kids really love her. Um, and his wife likes her too. Uh, and she does some annoying things, but he kind of, like he just hates. Like, he blows up at her. her a lot. Yes. Uh, in fact, on Thanksgiving, he blows up on her. Uh, and she runs off into the woods crying, but they convince her to come back. And she ends up staying through to Hanukkah because she has lots of stuff she wants to do in L.A. Um, we get a montage of her playing with her niece and nephew. Um, and then we see them, like, she goes on The Price is Right and just lots of lots of stuff like that. Um, and at the movie theater uh, that they go to, they go to watch some, like, at Hot in the movies. Um, we see that Jack and Jill are actually very much alike behavior-wise, too, not just looks-wise. Uh, mirroring each other's moves and um, their their farting habits and their eating habits. But when this is pointed out to Jack, he's upset and actively kind of rebels against that. Um, and Jack gets the idea to set her up on a date so she'll leave them alone through the holidays, even though his wife tells him not to meddle. But Jill ends up bringing it up on her own and Jack, Jack jumps on the chance to do it. So Jill signs up for a matchmaking website uh, but she's sad when she gets no hits, like she gets no people who are interested in her. Uh, so then Jack goes onto a seedier website and and kind of lies, but doesn't really like misrepresents who she is. Yeah, he calls her hot, and then he thinks in his head about how she left a sweat puddle on her bed. Yeah. Um. So he puts like an ad for that. It's supposed to be like a sexy ad on uh for her page. And the next day, Jill has a bunch of notifications, and she gets a date that night with Norm MacDonald. Uh, not really Norm MacDonald, Norm MacDonald playing a character. Uh, named, what was his name? I don't know. I don't even, uh, Fun, Fun Bucket. Fun, Fun Bucket. Fun Bucket, that's right. Uh, but the date doesn't go well. Uh, Norm MacDonald ditches her in the salad course. Uh, so she comes home, she's very upset. Uh, so... To make her feel better and sort of apologize, because it's really Jack's fault that this happened to her, he takes Jill to a Lakers game because he got Lakers tickets because he knows that Al Pacino will be there courtside. Uh, Al ignores him in favor of Jill, who he seems very enamored with, but Jill kind of like blows him off. And uh, he gives her his number in condiment on a hot dog form. It says, call me with his phone number. It's great. Um... Jack pressures her to go on the date, uh, and she doesn't really want to. On their birthday, Jack's coworkers throw a surprise party where we get lots of cameos that are very problematic today. Uh, lots of people who've been in commercials are, like, bad. Oh, yeah. ShamWow guy. Jared and, from Subway? Yeah, I don't want to talk about Jared, though. ShamWow guy's one is at least a bit funny. Yeah. <laughs> you, uh, do you know what happened to him? Didn't he, like... Do you so, tax fraud or something? No. He, <laughs> so he hit a sex worker 
but apparently it was because she bit his tongue and wouldn't let go. And in the police files, there's pictures of his tongue where he has been definitely severely bitten there. Um, I obviously don't know the whole story, but sham wows are funny inherently, so it makes that kind of a humorous situation. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, that, um, that's why uh, if it was tax evasion, I'd be like, oh, sham wow your taxes away. Not, uh, you know, because <laughs> tax evasion's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> that's why I love Jimmy Carr. <laughs> Don't distract me from this summary. Um, so I mean, earlier we've learned that uh, Jack and Jill's mom ha- has died. And this is going to be the first holidays that she spends alone. Um so we see that Jill gets upset when there's only one cake because usually they get two cakes. Um, and I think that's like supposed to be like, it reminds her of her family, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she, she gets upset. She goes to the coat room, but surprise, Al Pacino is there waiting in the coat room. Very creepy, creepy like. Uh, <laughs> he takes her to his house where he has actually lots of cakes there for her. And they hang out a little bit and he's like very creepy and harassed seeing toward her um like he's like enamored um we've already learned that al pacino here in this movie world is a little mentally unstable like he's not in a good place mentally because he had like this blowout on the stage when he was performing richard the third um and he is trying to get back on track and he thinks that jill will be the person to help him do this like his muse basically um so Jill becomes very uncomfortable when he says this um, because he wants to play in La Man- The Man of La Mancha, uh, which is Don Quixote, the musical. Um, and he calls her his Dulcinea, uh, which we'll talk about the, the meaning of later. Um, she gets upset. She's creeped out. She leaves. And Jack is very mad that she turned Al Pacino down because he's trying to get this Dunkin' Donuts commercial going. Uh, so she goes with Felipe, the funny gardener who tells lots of jokes, and he takes her to his family's big party where they eat food and they play soccer, and she has a really good time there. And while she's gone, Al Pacino visits the house and tells Jack that he'll do the commercial if he gets the girl. So Jack invites Jill begrudgingly on their New Year's cruise because otherwise she'll go home to the Bronx that day. Uh, And she's really happy that she gets to go on the cruise, and so are the kids. And on the cruise, they almost start to bond playing um, Double, Double Dutch. Dutch. Yeah. Uh, but when Jack hints that he wants her to meet Al Pacino, she gets upset and says no. So Jack's plan is to pretend to be Jill, dressing up as her and going to a castle in Mallorca, Spain, where he gets drunk and harassed by Al Pacino. Um, Jack's wife, in the meantime, tells Jill that he really did want her on the cruise, so she's happy, and she tries calling Jack, uh, but she finds out what he's doing and is very upset and leaves for home. Uh, and at the castle, Al Pacino says to Jack that he, like, he thinks that he's Jill at this point. Um, he says to Jack that he treats her, his sister poorly and that she just wants recognition, um, and, like, there's a line where he says, like, aren't I annoying to everybody? Aren't I a pain in the butt? And Al says, like, you just need someone to give that passion to or whatever. Um, and Jack feels really upset about this. And he leaves to go apologize to Jill and finds out that she has gone home. So we still see Jill go to New Year's alone with a picture of her mom. 
Um, and some people from her high school start making fun of her. But then Jack shows up. Uh, and Jack and Jill make up. And they talk in their fake twin language that Jack has denied that he can speak. And then David Spade, who is playing a character named Monica. And he, um, again, yet again, showing that David Spade can make... Like, he, he's got a good drag body. I gotta admit. Mm-hmm. Um, he's... I don't remember what predicates this, but he starts fighting with Jill, but he starts by attacking Jack's wife. Um, it's just basically a... They're, they're making references to, like, kind of a Jersey Shore culture. Um, especially with the other... Like, Peter Dante is definitely dressed up like yeah. that. Um, yeah. And they're just needlessly violent and... <laughs> yeah. Go after but- an easy target instead of a hard one. Yeah, Jill joins in and 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 kicks her ass, uh, and then Jack takes Jill home to see her knight. Well, also Al Pacino shows up um, dressed as Don Quixote, uh, and and gets in a fight with a ceiling fan. Yeah, which is uh, great. It's very good. Uh, and Jack takes Jill home, where Felipe and his kids have shoveled her lawn free of snow and have trimmed her hedges into hearts, and he says that he loves her. Uh, and the movie ends with the full Al Pacino Duncacino commercial, which includes the song and dance. Um, which, which makes fun of all of Al Pacino's most famous roles. Yes. Uh, and then it shows Jack and Al sitting on chairs watching it in Jack's office. And Al says, destroy this. No one must ever see it. No one would pay to see this. Um, and then and we yeah, go back. And the last words, I believe, are it's bad. It's or, no good. No good. Yeah. And then we go back to the twins talking and hugging Um like the same framing device from the beginning. That's the end of the movie. So in this, it's it's not a super interesting plot. It's not intricate at all. What it is, is one of the most meta dense films I've ever seen in my life. Um, it, I, it surpasses easily adaption and the disaster artist and maybe even being John Malkovich. That's where we're at. Um, it's it's close in my mind to what's the movie uh, that I can't pronounce? Synecdoche, New York. Yes, um, I, I'm I'm ashamed of the internet for not talking about this. I can't find it. That said, if you uh, do search for Jack and Jill, it unfortunately has a lot of uh, pornography. So maybe I was running into a uh, a roadblock because of that. But I mean, all, all I've been able to find have been negative reviews. But I want to share one that I found very funny. Um, So this is from a Reddit thread, because I always go to Reddit to try to find my movie opinions, of course, right? Um, And and the topic is, why is Jack and Jill the most hated Adam Sandler movie? It's from a deleted account, and the comments are deleted, and it has zero upvotes. Okay. Um, And uh, it says, um, it talks, like, a bunch of people start, like, shitting on it. Uh, And then... You get, you get down a little bit more, and it says, one person, one user, Nicopole, says, the only good Sandler, Sandler movie was Click, and then a comment uh, <laughs> below it by T90Fan, Waterboy, Big Daddy, and Little Nicky are all classics. And then below that, by ShadowhunterX59, don't forget B- Happy Gilmore and Bill- Billy Madison. Uh, and then another comment by An Exhausted Headcase, The Wedding Singer, 51st Date, Punch Drunk Love... And then if you go down a little further, you see someone that says, Little Nicky was unwatchable. Below that, Little Nicky was one of his best. And it starts a little fight about Little Nicky. Um, yeah. I, I, I love seeing it because everyone is willing to agree that Adam Sandler makes only terrible movies. 
Yeah, if you run the gambit, they love just about every one of them. Except well, basically too, this one. Oh, God. Here, too, um, some of the other movies that people are saying, oh, it's not the worst one. That's My Boy is is worse. No, Funny People was the worst. Uh, but clicking grown-ups are tied for second. Like, yeah. it doesn't make sense. Um, but, I mean, I disagree with most of their opinions, but either way, I did find one comment, though, I would like to ha- uh, point out, which is from someone who has, it was before the movie came out, and it was from someone who had not seen it. Uh, M. Von Balmo. Sandler's movies are getting more and more conceptual. Jack and Jill could easily be a movie made by another Sandler character, George from the movie Funny People, in that he plays a jaded comedian who rules Hollywood with movies like Merman, Waterboy, and a movie where he plays a swearing baby man. At any rate, I would not at all be surprised to see Sandler doing this movie as a self-referential joke. I'm no, like, I totally agree. Th- this yes. man got it. Um, and good luck with your watch. So what I want to do is go through some of the, the perceived negatives of this movie in order to explain what's actually happening. Because I think that's huh. a really good way to kind of break down the movie in an easier way. Um, so I'm going to go through the, the small list I made of what Red Letter Media said was wrong with the movie. Um, uh-huh. And they started this out by saying Punch Drunk Love isn't an Adam Sandler movie. Which shows that they should not be reviewing movies because it is. Uh, that's no, what it very specifically is. It's supposed um, to be the quintessential happy, happy uh, Madison movie, yeah. Yep. Um, so they say in the plot, there's no consequence if they don't get Al Pacino into the commercial. So right off, they're not paying attention. Because um, Adam Sandler's character is not worried that Al Pacino is or isn't going to be in the commercial for himself. He states that his company, Dunkin' Donuts, is the biggest client. And if he doesn't do this, 200 people could lose their jobs. The yeah, whole... they do say that within, like, the first... Like, two minutes? Like, yeah, of the actual film, not with the twin stuff. Yeah. Um, w- what they're doing is, A, setting up, you know, the basic plot, and B, showing the fact that this movie is inherently about making movies or making media. Oh, 100%. That's yes. what they're setting up here. Um, again, every time in a movie or a book or whatever, they're watching a movie or reading a book, that matters. They don't do that on accident. They also don't reference movies and books on accident. Um, Next, they say uh, it's the most racist movie um, since an extremely racist movie that they talked about um, due to the racist depiction of uh, Mexican people in this movie. Now... There, there is some things that could be uh, culturally insensitive, but I think they miss the point here. They have uh, this gardener who is Mexican, which is, they said, you know, just a racist stereotype. Um, it is actually more likely a realistic, uh, unfortunate thing. The idea that this this person who is funny and is making jokes is stuck doing menial labor, even though it doesn't seem to be something they're super happy about. And yeah. it's it's not it is not racist to portray someone in a role like a gardener when it's part of the plot line, which it is. This person is from a uh, marginalized community, and they show that when Jill goes to this community, she feels extremely welcome. She fits in, and it's this underprivileged group 
that really shows that they appreciate her. Now, this is because, in my opinion, Jill is supposed to be the comedy side of Adam Sandler. Yes. And the people who, without a doubt, like Adam Sandler are the less privileged, the, I mean, not low class, but like the lower classes economically, um, uh, people who do blue collar jobs and such, and the people who love him in return are these people. Um, and spe- especially people with a good sense of hu- humor, which is who Felipe is. He's someone who makes jokes about his position in life and is willing to make jokes about things. Um, and while, yeah, they have a joke where the same actor is playing his own grandmother and gets hit in the face with a pinata and then eats uh, bites on a jalapeno to uh, heal themselves, which is, you know, definitely a ethnically charged joke but not one that is filled with malice you know no i mean that that whole party it's just it's a big group it's like a big family gathering um it they play they eat food they play soccer they hit a pinata now none of those things are none of those things are are racist i've 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 been to to gatherings to gatherings where like i was with my my Mexican neighbors, my neighbors who are from Mexico. And like, that's what a lot of their parties were like. Yeah. This is in my opinion, uh, this idea that, uh, from, from these red letter media guys opinion that this is a racist portrayal of a party, um, done at a public park, you know, playing soccer, playing games, hitting pinata, eating a bunch of food really shows a lack of awareness of other cultures. Um, we're lucky enough to have both lived either next to or in a community that has uh, like Mexican people in it. I lived in Texas for a year and I lived in a apartment complex that was probably 95 Mexican people. And I got to go to a few parties that they threw and a, um, they laughed at me for sweating as much as I did when I ate food. Um, <laughs> Because it was too spicy, but I wouldn't give up. And B, I, I played soccer and hit a pinata with them. I actually held a pinata because I was one of the tallest people there. But like, <laughs> like it, it's stuff that they do and they did it in a public area because, you know, a lot of people don't have weird hangups about parks and having fun there. But anyway. Yeah, it's it's not, I'm not saying that all Mexican people do this th- these things. Yes. I'm not saying that at all. And to be fair... I wasn't paying the best of attention to that scene because I was writing something furiously down that I thought, like, I was writing some notes down. So maybe there was something super racist that I missed, but I don't think so. Yeah, I I don't think so. They actually make uh, fun of racism multiple times in this movie by having Al Pacino speak gibberish. And then they say, like, pretending he's speaking French or German to his staff. And then they put on screen, like, Al Pacino speaking gibberish and then the like french speaking uh chef responds with what are you saying you're not saying anything stuff like that um they're poking fun at the idea um this is actually yeah go ahead yeah i mean there are like you said there are some there are some jokes that are problematic in this movie that Mm -hmm. is not false but i think what you said is that red letter media called this and i'm sure that they were slightly exaggerating yeah of course they called this the most racist movie since american history x no, no, no. Said? Most racist movie oh, since, since, uh, sorry, yeah, since Birth uh, of a Nation. Birth of a Nation. Yeah. 
Um, there are, have they never seen Master of Disguise? That's all I have to say. You don't even have to go outside of the Adam Sandler canon to get there. <laughs> Here's my problem with their saying that is, if it's a joke, it's a joke. But they later go on to say that this movie made Michael Bay look good for putting action and beautiful woman in his movies, at least. Oh Yet there's gosh. much more racist portrayals in the Transformers movie they were mentioning than in this movie. I have actual problems with the way they portray different races in Transformers. You fucking idiots. Transformers is more racist. Michael Bay's more racist. Um, anyway, next thing they don't get. Um, this is a quote from them. is They never mention that the joke is it's a man in drag. It's not. That's not what the movie is portraying uh, Jill as. Jill is a woman in the movie. Um, and then they say the humor comes from when a woman does something strong and everyone is surprised in the movie, but it's actually a man as we know. No. But that's not what happens in the movie, and that's also no. not that funny. So in this movie, Jill lifts like, is like curling like 225 pounds. It's just shown to be an extremely strong person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some jack. And she's doing it without problem. She's yeah. doing multiple reps just with ease. Yeah, while talking. Um, and then these Arnold Schwarzenegger wannabes can't lift it afterwards. So she she is not just strong for a woman. She's stronger than a very strong man. She is a superhuman in yes. this movie. Or... You she know, punches I, a guy through a door. Yeah. As I like to say, is either a Superman or a strongman, which is a, a type of trope that shows up in a lot of these movies and is very specific to Adam Sandler characters, which is what Jill is, is a representation of Adam Sandler characters from previous movies. Yeah. And, you know, you can be a movie critic and not get that, I guess. But also, like, come on. I don't I haven't been doing this for long. It's been 40 <laughs> days and I get it. I do. I do want to mention there. There are a couple transphobic jokes in this movie. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of one specifically at that party um, yes. with Felipe's family. Um, I'm I'm actually surprised that that there weren't more of them. Yeah. Um. I I know probably there are some people out there who are offended by seeing men in drag who aren't gay. Mm-hmm. Um. I. I don't know. I have ambiguous feelings toward that. But I actually didn't see a problem with Jill's portrayal in this movie because, again, this is a movie about Adam Sandler and he's playing... Essentially himself. Himself. They're supposed to be, like, identical twins. Mm -hmm. Um, The the one that's probably more problematic would be David Spade. But I... It's... Like, yeah, sure, it's a little... Like, it's supposed to be funny that we're seeing David Spade in drag... He also has huge fake boobs, like, plastered on him. Yeah, but the joke, I don't, like, I that could be a little problematic, and I can see how, like, somebody could make could make an actual argument about how that is an offensive trope. But compared to some other movies where men dress as women. Yes. Um, take Some Like It Hot, for example. A movie they watch within the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's, that's my piece on that. I also want to point out that uh, Red Letter Media is dumb for the fact that they, didn't, they weren't even saying that this was transphobic or anything. They were saying that it's only funny when a man's dressed up like a woman and then does something strong. That's where the inherent humor of the situation comes from. Um, so they're sexist is what I'm saying. Yeah. But anyway, the, the next thing they said, uh, and th- this is more industry related, 
but they they said that he's a con man and that the fact that this costs 79 million dollars um shows it's a con and et cetera et cetera et cetera they're scamming money for his friends and blah blah, blah. it's a silly idea basically um do you know it's if if you think he's overpaid fine that's great um i don't really care a bunch of people on different social media sites said that you know this movie wouldn't even make its money back its budget was 79 million dollars you know that's way too much blah blah it made 150 million dollars so regardless if you think he's scamming sony productions why are you worried about him scamming them I understand, yeah. like, it's not worth it to buy a ticket to this movie. That's a fine argument to make, and it's okay. Stop fucking defending billion-dollar companies and worrying you're gonna, they're scamming them. What are you talking about? They're not actually stealing anything from you. Um, a lot of people say, like, oh, if you, they spend $79 million on this movie that I didn't like, that's $79 million less for a movie that I would have seen. But the whole problem is that you have these gigantic companies making movies. Um, it's not Adam. Sand- Adam Sandler is not the the problem that you are tr- that you're trying to find here. Yeah. <laughs> He's not the problem. <laughs> um, then they say no one uses PC products anymore, um, and that that's an issue for some reason. Whereas there is an underlying theme of product placement, and it is specific, um, and it is on purpose. And if you don't like product placement, that's perfectly fine. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I don't actually have many issues with it. If it gets in the way of the plot, I have an issue with it. But this, in the meta narrative of what's going on, is pissing off the people who hate him on purpose. He's a commercial salesman so that he can show Dunkin' Donuts and Pepto-Bismol and these other places on purpose because he knows it makes people angry. This is... Yeah. Like, that's the whole point. They make a terrible commercial at the end, and then they make you yeah. watch it, and they show why would Al Pacino ever be in this, and then they show why he would be in this, um, whether it be for, you know, love or money or for, you know, trying to kill windmills, whatever his thing seems to be right now. <laughs> and I find it hilarious. Um, the issue of product placement, completely missing what product placement, like, means in this movie. It's a means to an end, and that end is to basically give people jobs. And I, I agree, Sandler has too much money. Millionaires millionaires can exist, but like multi-hundred millionaires shouldn't exist. I agree with that. But I also don't think the problem is the person. I think the problem is the industry. No, that's and, 100% true. And if your job is a movie critiquer, the idea of being angry at movies working on getting paid to be made, I find to be problematic a little. Um, I understand there's an ethical and unethical way to do it, but actually there's no ethical consumption under capitalism, so you're wrong. Now, oh, so that's all of their problems. Um, and I do want to just raise one more thing I saw people saying, which is uh, the movie slash play The Producers. I know we both know this. It's a... Uh, a uh, play where they realize you can make more money off a flop than you can off a successful movie. Now, mm-hmm. this is wrong, and it's a joke for a movie. Stop using it as, here's why someone would make a bad movie. Also, this yeah. movie made $150 million. <laughs> yeah, this this movie made money. Um, But yeah, that's not how it works. I know 
there's this there's this thing everyone loves to talk about about how Hollywood uses this crazy way to do economics where movies never make money. Um, and yeah, it's because they're paying people and they're paying themselves and they're paying the companies. So technically the movie doesn't make money because it pays Miramax a hundred million dollars, but they made money. Um, yeah, then it's whatever. Um, that said, like if you're super good Wait, at Wait, did Holly- you just say Miramax? Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I was just listing something. Oh, oh, I thought you said like Miramax worked on this movie. no. Sony Productions did. I was just, okay. I was throwing okay. out some company that would make a lot of money. Yeah, Miramax is uh, Harvey Weinstein's. Uh, yeah, it was just the first like shitty company I could think of. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, without a shitty company. Um, yeah, they made hundreds of millions of dollars, and sometimes said they didn't. Um, now, I think, do we want to cover the symbolism of the different characters and what they mean in the story? And I've been raining a while, so do you want to? take over i will i will take over i mean i feel like you were like way more into it than i was i was just mostly sitting here stunned and shocked and then trying to analyze the literary stuff in it Mm -hmm. so i will talk about the symbolism of the characters and how how they're they're sort of allegorical in this movie now we've already talked about jack and jill we've talked about how jack is well we'll start with jill jill's jill's easiest Mm -hmm. i think it's pretty clear that jill is like the comedic side of adam sandler the, the goofy movies, the, 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 the stupid jokes, the, the plain comedy, but Jill is much like a lot of these Happy Madison characters, like Joe Dirt, like Bucky Larson. They are completely unflappable, even if they have their down moments. Mm-hmm. Um, and their down moments, they typically keep to themselves uh, until Kevin Nealon, you know, like goes into your room yelling yeah. at you she, about your grapes <laughs> when when something bad happens to her she, emotionally she runs into the woods because she you know doesn't know how to handle it um if something bad happens to her physically she normally just knocks someone out because she's extremely strong um and they make several references to the fact that you should understand this is his old characters um the mm-hmm. most notable is having her on the prices right as a reference to um happy gilmore uh and this is the same universe as happy gilmore because yes. otto the caddy is invited to thanksgiving in the beginning yes and then their secret language is the infamous adam sandler babbling mm-hmm. it's him saying like that stuff um yes but yeah um and jack we had a conversation about this um mm-hmm. a little earlier Jack is a little bit harder to place because Jack is never really played for a comedy character mm-hmm. in this. Um, on one hand, Jack could be like the workaholic side of Adam Sandler. Um, mm-hmm. Could be the one that's concerned about, you know, making money, concerned about taking care of his workers. Being a family uh, man. Being a family man. And on the other hand, it could be the side of Adam Sandler that actually does care about critics. Mm-hmm. And, but maybe those are the same. Like, maybe that's the industry side of Adam Sandler. Yeah. Because it, it shows that Jack really does care about appearances. I mean, they invite a homeless guy to Thanksgiving every year, which is great and noble, but they they kind of do it to be, like, saviory. Yeah, you know? whereas... They adopted a kid from India as well. Like, it's this kind of performative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, although I do think that also the adoption... Um... There, there was, 
the the thing uh, red letter media also said that uh the adoption thing was stupid because it, it was supposed to apparently show that their wife couldn't have kids and that was supposed to uh like it would have made sense for her to be pregnant at the end i'm like no like you guys are just weirded out by the idea of adoption and that's kind of shitty of you but whatever it's fine. Yeah, it's it's um, not really a big deal that he's adopted. Yeah. They, they make, like, one joke, but I think they just, you know, they picked an actor. Yeah, and, I mean, I, I think the idea of normalizing I, adoption I actually, is good. I have some theories about this kid, mm-hmm. which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, but I, I do want to give you a, a few things for um, Jill says about Jack that your father likes to pretend his life started in California, which is mm-hmm. a reference to... His life started when he entered Hollywood. That's that's who this character is supposed to be. Um, and then there's another moment where when he's mirroring Jill in the movie theater, when he laughs, he forces himself to have a more masculine laugh in order to hide the fact that he's like Jill. Um, yes. Which, which is important for the idea of this character and, you know, being in the industry and forcing a masculinity onto oneself. I mean, they're, they're the, the idea of femininity is is played pretty hard in this movie. Um, Jill is not a very feminine person. She does dress very femininely. She dresses mm-hmm. more feminine than I do. Uh, I don't dress very femininely, but you, like, she, she dresses how, like, she dresses in nice, nicer clothes. She gets dolled up. Um, I don't think she wears slacks at all in the movie. Um, but when Jack dresses up as Jill, of course it's the same thing because you know yeah. it's just Adam Sandler again. Mm-hmm. Um, Al Pacino says, "You look different. You look more feminine." And I do think that this is it is kind of a, a reference to Adam Sandler's femininity because, as we talked about in so many of his earlier movies, a lot of it had to do with masculinity. A lot mm-hmm. of the deeper themes had to do with masculinity and femininity and, and, and sexuality in, I think, a very deep way. And I, I just see that as a comment on that. Like, when when the serious side of Adam Sandler puts himself into the place of a goofy movie, that's what you get. You get a more serious theme over um, underneath, you know, the, the, the goofiness of something. And I think it is also something to be said about the idea of the serious Sandler um, going into this movie is people perceive him as more feminine in stuff like Punch Drunk Love yes. and Rain Over Me and Spanglish, yes. even though he was playing a more feminine character earlier and people didn't see it due to the fact that it was like a comedy. Yes. Um, which is a very interesting uh, kind of critique of like an audience. Yeah, I... I think that the audience is critiqued a lot in this. Mm-hmm. Um, for Felipe, Felipe the gardener, he's constantly seen making jokes. And you already mentioned a little bit about some of the symbolism with him, that he's, you know, he's a marginalized person. He's lower, he's lower class than um, Jack is in this because he's the gardener for this rich family. Um, it's uh, Felipe... Though, to me, he is a person who enjoys Jill for who she is and is a person that makes Jill feel comfortable. So I think that the, that Felipe is, like you said, that those people who who get the humor and they appreciate the humor for what it is. I want you to compare that to Al Pacino. Yeah. Al Pacino um, is somebody that Jack wants to pursue, not somebody that Jill wants to pursue. Mm-hmm. Jill is deeply uncomfortable with Al Pacino's character, whereas Jack wants him around. 
And I, I think this is where we started to disagree a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, let me let me finish the stuff up with the kids too, and then I'll let you have like what you wanted to say um, about that. But I think that Al Pacino represents those people, those 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 people who have watched Adam Sandler movies who say, "I really liked Happy Gilmore. I really liked Billy Madison, but everything else he's done is shit." Mm-hmm. Because Al Pacino sees Jill and fetishizes her. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I, and he calls her his Dulcinea. Now I'm uh, ready to get into a little bit of a literature here. Okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Um, one of the major themes of the man of La Mancha and of Don Quixote in general is this idea of defending an ideal that doesn't actually exist. Mm-hmm. So in Don Quixote, um, Don Quixote wants to be a knight because he's read so many um chivalric romances he he and um it's in in the book he like loses his sanity and he he pretends to be this person he pretends to be this this knight and he goes off and and has this weird adventures everyone i think knows like the story of him trying to defeat a windmill but the whole thing is that don quixote sees reality as something grand when in reality it's it's just normal so dulcinea i'm gonna read this directly this is from lit charts um because you know i was i thought that this was well said and i was too lazy to write my own uh so from litcharts.com kids listen to that that's a good place to get some information that's not spark notes sometimes uh Dulcinea is Quixote's beloved. On the one hand, she is a hardy peasant girl named Aldonza de Lorenzo from a neighboring village. On the other hand, she is a beautiful, ethereal princess endowed with every possible feminine virtue and beauty. She is the height of Quixote's fantasies, the center of his chivalrous worldview, his strength and justification. Her mystery, her perfection, and her absence make her a godlike figure. So she is idealized and idolized by Don Quixote, but in reality, she's just Aldonza. She's just this 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 peasant woman. Um, going a little bit more, um, Quixote, um, when he sees that Dulcinea is not a real person, he's just like sad to see, like, oh, I can't believe like that like Dulcinea looks like this. Um, and in the end, he he loses hope in Dulcinea and he gives up on being a knight. He, he, he sleeps, he wakes up, he says, I've, I'm sane now. Uh, I detest these romances now. I'm not D- D- Don, D- Don Quixote. And he dies afterwards. Mm-hmm. So Al Pacino wants to be the man of La Mancha. Like that is the role that he's trying to pursue. And I think that is very purposeful and a very good literary illusion to make Jill the Dulcinea. Um, and if, like I said, if if Jill represents these earlier comedies, like Al Pacino sees, like ah, yes, this Billy Madison is Happy the Gilmore. height of comedy. There's nothing that can ethereally make me laugh so hard. I want more like this. This is what they should be making now. It has nothing to do with the fact that I was 14 when I saw it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's it's not something that can happen again, you know? Mm-hmm. And in the end, we, we see him, Al Pacino, dressed as Don Quixote. and He's fighting a ceiling fan. Yeah, basically completely gone overboard, mm-hmm. you know? 
Ooh, and good, I, good I, name I think, drop. Like yeah, it. I know. Um, and I, I think that that I, I really like that literary illusion. They did really well with the literary illusions. Um, and he's also in Richard the Third at the beginning of the movie. Um, and Richard the Third, uh, Richard the Third is about like fighting your way to the top. It's very Macbeth esque, except it's a historical tragedy instead. Um, I don't know too much about Richard III, to be honest. It's not mm-hmm. my favorite Shakespeare tragedy. I read it when I was, like, in high school. Um, but it is about, like, murdering and, and plotting and, and and like, scheming your way all the way to the top. Um, and then in the end, of course, he he he's not the king anymore. He's, you know. Yes. <laughs> um, which, which is shown throughout the, the film as... Al Pacino chooses to take on the role Richard III, and he doesn't know if he wants to take on the Man of La, La Mancha um, mm-hmm. until he has this uh, desire over Jill, which shows that until he feels like he can take the role, he won't do it, which means he must have felt he wanted to take the role of Richard III, meaning he wanted to be a conniving Machiavellian type at some point, and that's what he was mm-hmm. doing in the beginning to get on top. Well, I think, too, though, like, it shows in this movie that Richard III is a coveted play for people to be in. Mm-hmm. Caitlyn Jenner is in the play, and it's used as, like, they point to her and say, like, look, I mean, even Caitlyn Jenner's in this, like, saying, like, a bunch of random Hollywood people are in this play, but it's seen as this very serious thing. And I think that's a direct critique of Hollywood where, you know, you get these actors in and it's supposed to be like this, you know, it's Oscar Beatty. Yeah. I mean, very much in the way, like, don't get me wrong, I love Magneto, but I could give a shit when he's in a play and everyone talks about it. Right. But, you know, that's because I only like plays with comedy in them. <laughs> yeah, that's why I think Al Pacino represents that uh, and why Jill obviously represents these comedies. And, and then Felipe, on the other hand, he just likes the comedy. He just likes the, the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And we have the kids, too, and I think the kids literally represent the kids, like, as a whole. Yes. They really like, kids really do like Adam Sandler movies. They like the the, the silly ones, you know? Um, kids like silly movies. I loved Master of Disguise when I was a child. It's yeah. just, you know. I, I remember thinking Mr. Deeds was all. the funniest thing <laughs> I've ever seen, and it kind of actually held up. Um and then there's also the fact that the internet specifically hates Jill. Yes. Um, and she doesn't use it. Yes. She doesn't <laughs> really use the internet. She doesn't know how a computer works. Um, and then when she uses the computer, she's disappointed by it um, yes. and the reactions from the internet, um, which is a very personal, I think, thing to Adam Sandler. He's beloved. Um, Jill thinks Jack's beloved and Jack thinks Jill's beloved. Um but he's beloved by this crowd out around him in the industry, um, and the people he sees are all very nice to him. Mm-hmm. But like, but it's literally it's literally commercial. Yeah, and Nick Swartzen, who plays his assistant, is constantly shitting on Jill, who he's barely <laughs> met, to his face, in a reference to the fact that people shit on his early work to him. I'm sure. Or his comedy, like his dumb comedy works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I want to say one more thing about the kids, though. Uh-huh. The son, the one that's adopted from India, I wonder if, like, he's a red herring at all. I think I, um, I think it could go either way, but I have an opinion about it. Let me hear yours. 
So my opinion is that it is a red herring. And I, I'm worried now because I'm worried that I'm falling into the trap and that we have been falling into this trap forever. I wonder if Adam Sandler has heard some of these deeper theories and he threw this kid in because there's a line where, okay, so the kid's thing is that he tapes things to himself Mm-hmm. like random things like he has a lobster on him at one point a hamster he has a, a pepper shaker yeah it was a salt um, shaker but same yeah, salt thing. shaker whatever um and jill says did you ever think about how maybe he tapes things to him to feel a deeper sense of connection and it's supposed to be like that's obviously not it it's just a silly thing mm-hmm. i is adam sandler trying to tell us like don't think about it too deeply it's just a silly thing and then here we are doing this um i'm gonna choose to say no it, it could be um but you don't you don't have a don uh key say the name quixote don quixote <laughs> subplot to a movie where you say don't look at the references in this um and i think what that scene shows is jill the the specifically comedy background one saying like look at the the subtext to this thing this child's doing isn't it interesting could this be what they mean but i just came up with that off the top of my head who knows i could be wrong um and oh. i i feel like it's because jill kind of is a representation of the past it's saying like why does no one look into what's going on in these movies you're just gonna let that pass by you you gotta let this kid tape stuff to him with no meaning there's no symbolism to this we're not trying at all um, that brings me more hope. I like that theory better, so that's the one I'm going to stick to. Now, you thought, though, about Al Pacino. You thought something a little differently than I did. Well, I think there's another aspect of him that could be represented, and it's it's this who you could be. Um, and in, in this fake language, uh, Jack and Jill speak. Um, Jack is also known as Pagogo, and then Jill is known as uh, Pokey. And then there's Pacino. Which sounds just pretty close. That could be a coincidence, don't get me wrong. But the thing about Al Pacino is he was a great star. A lot of people love him. And he did win an Oscar, which they show in the movie, and Jill actually destroys on accent. Um, But He even says, no, I only won one. Funny, huh? There's this idea to me um, that's shown um, that... If Adam Sandler was to pursue only dramatic roles and become known as a great actor, there's there's a certain level of good that could come from that. But ultimately, it's unsatisfying to who he is because Al Pacino is shown as the bad guy in this movie. He's uh, aggressively going after Jill. He's creepy. He's weird. Um, he cares too much about stuff. But there's some scenes where he, while he's on the phone during a play, uh, that he's the one acting in, he starts doing a Godfather reference, and the people in the crowd are like, oh my god, is he doing Godfather? This is great. And one person starts crying at his performance, even though he's literally on the phone talking. And even though he's on the phone during what's supposed to be a dramatic role, um, just talking to someone and really threatening them, and pursuing a woman in a way that is very bad people love it they're eating it up and it's it's this weird dichotomy between how people will treat stars basically they're just you know really happy to see you know al pacino do an al pacino thing and i think that 
there's a bit of an idea that obviously I know Adam Sandler can go in a dramatic way and do some interesting dramatic stuff. And he probably could have been doing this for a while. And there's people who have made that dramatic turn. But Al Pacino's a piece of shit in the movie. And that's supposed to mean something. He His ambitions don't make sense. What he's doing doesn't make sense. He's only cares about his role and then some other stuff. And he's losing it. Whereas Jack has this family he cares about and he's working to support a lot of people and jill has lost her family specifically and is alone but is funny and represents this comedic sign and a passion basically now pacino has neither he he's a phony through and through he pretends to speak french um he can't tell the difference between the person he supposedly loves and her brother he doesn't actually really care about the stuff he's getting into he makes Jill become someone she's not by playing stickball to show how much alike they are. It's it's all weird and creepy. He uses possessive language about Jill that Jack talks about because he says, you know, you can I'll be in your commercial if I get the woman. And, you know, Jack's like, what do you mean get? That's a bit aggressive. So Jack is the closest to what they are right now is what Adam Sandler is right now primarily a business person who sometimes is able to relax and be that comedic person but what he desperately doesn't want to be even though he's pursuing it in the movie is al pacino the the dramatic person who cares a lot about looking good and doing all these things without remembering the core reasons why they're doing it and i think that's very specific that all these are supposed to kind of fit together of you know, he could be um, either the extremely good character actor or like this dramatic person or be a Don, say it. Quixote. Don Quixote, where he's trying to redo the things he used to do. And he, he could try to pursue himself at 22 even, but he'll never be that same person. And he won't make those exact same movies. Um, and it would be gross and bad if he tried, which... Yeah, you know, a lot of people think like, well, why not? Why not make another movie like that? It's like because it, it wouldn't be the same, and that's you know, you can't go back home. That's not a thing that works like that. Oh, um, there is another thing that I did want to mention though. Uh, Jack is only really truly happy when he is actively working with Jill. Yes, that's the thing that makes him the happiest. Mm-hmm. When he plays double dutch with her, mm-hmm. he's having a good time. And at the end, we see him, and he's speaking his twin language. Like, those are very genuine, nice moments from him. The rest of the time, like, he's watching her like a jet ski in his pool. And he's he's sitting inside while she's outside having fun. And he's just having none of it. Like, Mm -hmm. we only really see him kind of let loose when he's working in tandem with Jill. And I think that does represent how... Like, Adam Sandler's best work is when that more serious side of him does work with the goofiness. Um, the goofiness. Not trying to force the goofiness, not trying to get rid of that, but, like, bridging those two things together creates yeah. a creates goodness. Um, I also forgot to mention, um, just a, a piece of evidence I have for, towards the whole thing is uh, the company he runs in the movie is just named after his real-life children. So Yeah. <laughs> it's Sonny and Sandelstein after Sonny and Sadie. Yeah. So. I tried to see if Sandelstein was like a real last name, but it doesn't seem to be like a real last name. No. Just from this. 
Um, and I also saw, like, because I'm also on the IMDb trivia page, and the trivia right after that fact is, fun fact, this movie is garbage. Yeah, <laughs> and a bunch of people liked it. Um, yeah, 8 out of 8, but only uh, only 11 out of 13 thought it was interesting that Alan Covert was Otto again. But okay, yeah. I'm going to say it wasn't interesting. I, oh, I had to sign in? Fuck that. Um, yeah, not a fucking thing. Um, yeah. You know, there are a lot of references in all of Adam Sandler's movies, but I think that this one does reference a lot of his own movies in different ways. But the one I want to talk about in particular is how it references going overboard. Mm -hmm. There is a certain level of, um, it starts and ends in the same way, very specifically. And -hmm. we're supposed to see that because at the time, of course, this was, you know, the latest thing in his career and going overboard is the first thing. Um, and I do want to point out that the movie starts and ends with the same song, I Got You, Babe, and mm-hmm. it shows him starting off in a position he's really happy, a lot of stuff happens, he ends in the same position. Mm-hmm. But continue with your part. Yeah, so uh, like, like I said, it opens kind of in the same way, that very documentarian type way. Uh, it's not as meta with its framing device as Going Overboard is, um, but, you know, it... It's still kind of a very similar framing device. Um, And it also, like, the point where he realizes, like, the the crux of the movie takes place on a cruise. This is all about a cruise, and going overboard is all on a cruise ship. And I just, I feel like it can't be a, like, I I, I just think that it feels like a reference to me, doesn't it? To you? Yeah, like, it's very specific to me, too. The idea of there's some aspect of product placement on purpose Mm -hmm. uh, in that in those scenes to go to the cruise. But the cruise is this thing that the Jack, the professional side, is trying to get away from life and go to. And then he ends up inviting Jill, not really wanting to, but at the end is very happy to have done so. I mean, at the very least... I think it's telling that his very first movie was filmed on a cruise ship that they had access to, but was completely in dock the entire time. Whereas this one was a whole Royal Caribbean cruise, like this huge cruise ship with a pool and like all of this stuff going on, a carousel. Like just the the contrast between those two is huge. Yeah, and the I'm, I'm trying to think about because going overboard is just, you know, not much of a movie. Which is funny because it's a criticism a lot of people do in this movie, although it has a standard like three point plot, but whatever. Um, there is this whole thing with the bad, the good, and the old comedian, mm-hmm. which is, I still think, those three aspects between Shaggy and Dickie Diamond and uh, the old man who played himself, who is Millen Burl. It's again the. I mean, it's grown up since then, but, you know, Shecky is this Jill. Jack is Dickie Diamond now because he's professional and knows what he's doing. And this well-respected person is Al Pacino. But in the end, you know, it's Shecky who gets to go on and enjoys themselves and is happy with what they're doing. No one else is truly excited with what they're doing. But Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's... It's got to be, you know, there's got to be a little connection. There's, of course, other connections to other Adam Sandler things. Like we already mentioned with the babbling, um, there's a com- there's a line 
that's almost exactly the same as a Bucky Larson line that Norm Macdonald says. He says, I f- it feels like I'm in the Twilight Zone right now. Uh, Jill says that, actually. Oh, Jill says that? Yeah, she says, I feel like I'm in the Twilight Zone. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, so have, there's that reference. Have, they have a lot of references to movies, too, and Jill doesn't understand them specifically, mm-hmm. showing that she doesn't understand the movie industry. Um, she keeps describing movies like It's a Wonderful Life, but saying that's not the one I remember, Titanic, uh, Pretty Woman. And it's just interesting that they, they keep reinforcing this idea that Jill doesn't know movies. Jack does. And he keeps saying what they are. Um, oh, so and, does his wife, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's also some meta jokes about how uh, Adam Sandler's wife became Jewish to marry her. Um, Mm -hmm. in reality, Jackie Sandler did convert to Judaism, but like they show Adam being upset in the movie that people were like, oh, she just did it to pacify, uh, Adam. Like she doesn't care about it. And he's like, well, you know, that's, it's not a cool thing to say to me. That seems Mm -hmm. really shitty. Uh, you know, there's some stuff along those lines. Yeah. Um, yeah. What else do we need to say about this movie? I guess one thing I, I do need to say uh, it's, it's a little bit of a change of topic, um, mm-hmm. but I think that Al Pacino, like, I know some people are probably thinking, like, how did they get Al Pacino for this movie? Just like mm-hmm. they were, like, in, they kind of do that meta joke, like, how did, like, we're never going to get Al Pacino to do a Dunkin' Donuts commercial. No, I think actually Al Pacino probably chose this um, willingly. He did not phone it in, I don't think. Not at all. In this movie. I think he tried. He tried really hard, actually. Yes. He he gives some good acting, and, and he he doesn't. Okay, uh, uh, Jack Nicholson and anger management. That was the phone in. I feel without like. a doubt. Yeah, this one no. This one was. Is, I wonder if Al Pacino is just as angry at stuff like this. Was it in 2011 that people were up Al Pacino's ass? I don't know what you're talking about. So Al Pacino is seen as like a a macho kind of guy in his movies. Yes, he's he's in Godfather and Scarface. Yeah. And a lot of conservatives kind of idolize people like that in movies. Of course, yes. Al Pacino was honored by Barack Obama. He he received the National Medal of Arts in the in early two thousand and twelve. Um, he has said some very anti-Trump stuff. Um, I wonder if this is also like kind of a commentary for him. Like, hey, like to my fans, like you don't be toxic. I'm wondering if there's something in that. You know what I'm saying? Because it was around 2011 that this kind of stuff started with him. So Pacino's not even playing, at the beginning at least, and throughout it, much of a fictionalized version of himself. Um, The Richard III is in a lot of ways just a reference to himself. He made a documentary called uh, "Looking for Rich" or "Looking for Richard" or something like that Mm -hmm. about playing, you know, Richard III and all that type of thing. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to be cemented with the idea of him. He's only won one Oscar. We have that. But there's also the the negativity he was getting for his roles. Where I see that he could easily have agreed. Um, that he could have easily agreed with Sandler that there's some issues with this. Um, like, people really dislike a lot of the movies he decided to be in. They want him to be Godfather again. They want him to be Scarface. They want him to do Sin of a Woman again. And uh, 
Such a bad you know. name for a movie. Yeah. And maybe <laughs> fucking he doesn't want to because he's not a gangster. It, like Al Pacino does theater, guys. He really likes <laughs> the stage. He loves plays about Richard III. He probably doesn't give one shit about being fucking Tony Montana. Um, or he cares about Tony Montana a little bit, except the fact that, you know, that's not what he pursues in his free time. Um, and I know he did the Irishman where they de-aged him and all this nonsense, but, you know, you, you, you're in a Scorsese film when you're asked. That's pretty much how acting works. I also want to point out the fact, um, so this movie, um, Jack and Jill, it swept the Razzies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it won in every category, something like that, that yep. it was nominated for. The only other film to have done that is Geely. Yeah. Guess who was in Geely? Oh, yeah, he was in there. Yeah. So, I mean... <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I don't... I think he made he made the decision, you know? He got really intense uh, reactions from being in a lot of films people hate. Um, Jiggly, uh, the recruit... <laughs> Geely. Geely, I don't know, I've never seen it. Um, Righteous Kill, um... He was in one movie called Cruising that had a lot of uh, backlash from the LGBTQ uh, community. I don't know anything about that movie, though, so I'm not going to comment on it. I'm just saying that that is a thing that happened. But something he likes to do, and he has said this, is he'll take mediocre films because they sound fun or they sound interesting or they sound like it would be a challenge for him to do. Um, I don't think he was in Devil's Advocate because that was a fucking rock-solid script because it was a fun script and like you know Keanu Reeves and Al Pacino trying to be weird lawyers is a fucking hilarious idea yeah and he probably really liked that it was John Milton I feel like Al Pacino is a very literary guy I mean he he is known for liking Shakespeare um but I, I think that he'd be he'd dig a John Milton reference and I think that I think that Adam Sandler knows a lot about literature too don't get me wrong I I think that he is I for the uh, the amount of allusions that are in his movies to literature mm-hmm. i just can't he was yeah. probably really good really good in school in english class that's all i gotta say about that yeah um and i i'm sure someone's going to make an argument on his behalf to us about how he actually had money problems at parts um so that's why he probably took this role um but you know even if he had money problems he's fucking al pacino and can make a million dollars anywhere literally anywhere he wants mm-hmm. he could he could be in the next movie to come out in a bit role and make a million dollars. It's not it's not really that big a uh, pull, even if making a bunch of money is fun sometimes. And he has said, you know, he's done movies for the money because why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's like saying that Adam Sandler is doing these movies for the money. Yeah, which uh, I think I want to end with a, a note about the industry. Um, I know this is going to be a long episode. I don't really care. We're going to push... Uh, rating movies to the next episode so that this one's not super duper long oh okay yeah sure um yeah i don't want a two-hour episode or a two-parter even the thing though is i'm constantly seeing the idea that adam sandler is revoltingly greedy and that he's a bad person for doing these and obviously i think that i again i don't agree with the idea you know this person's a job maker so they should be able to do xyz um I personally don't see so far Happy Madison as being something that is oppressing a people, whereas Sony Productions is. And I yes. do understand there's some issues that they're working with them, um, but they do later split. And I want to tell a story um, 
that I've learned because I have decided to look at WikiLeaks and find references to Adam Sandler in Sony executives' emails that leaked. Because that's a thing you can technically do if uh, you don't pay attention to the part where the emails say, this is for private use only. So I'm going to tell everyone about Candyland. It's this movie idea Sony execs mentioned to Adam Sandler, and then Hasbro was in on it. You know, Transformers Hasbro. And this is uh, a year or two after Jack and Jill would be made. Or after Jack and Jill was made. Um, basically, they set up a meeting. They were willing to meet. In the execs, they expected Adam Sandler to show up alone and to talk with them about this movie, um, which they had a script which internally, they said, has some promise to it. It's not in a perfect place now, but it has the bare essentials to be pretty decent down the road. Um, you know, I know, astounding idea for a script. And what happens is they showed up to this meeting, and Adam Sandler did not show up alone. He showed up with what they called his uh, F word for cronies, was it? Flunkies? Yes, flunkies, his flunkies. Yes. He showed up with his flunkies, that's the quote, and his agent. And instead of agreeing to star in this movie um, and produce it for them, this Candyland backed by billion dollar companies on both sides movie, he had written a script for Candyland that he was willing to pitch to them and that he had thought they had wanted was a spec script for this movie. He came in with a full script and then in their private emails later, talk about how because they said, no, we just want you to star in this movie. And he looked at it and he said, well, I'm not really the star you want for this movie. In their email correspondence afterwards, they referred to Adam Sandler as an asshole for trying to do this. And that obviously he wasn't listening to them and didn't communicate clearly, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, for showing up with his own script and, expect- and saying, I'll do it, but for this amount of money, they call him an asshole. They, they berate him privately and are talking about how like yeah it's not your fault he didn't want to do this movie which they internally said wasn't very good but maybe could become good later and they were obviously hoping adam sandler and his people would make better and then they call him an asshole when he had a full script and expected more money for it instead of having to punch up their shitty movie and it's it's this stuff that drives me crazy where they're like adam sandler's greedy and shitty no, he's working while executives are trying to fuck over your movies and make them worse so that they can make more money. There's just emails and emails about this stuff. It is astounding the the things that they're you know saying behind his back while he turns around to make them um, crazy money. Yeah, it's he he's got so much star power despite some of the hate that he gives he gets and he's gonna have even more of it after uncut gems you know yeah it's it's just unfair to treat him the way that people do treat him and i'm not saying oh woe is adam sandler yes will be unto him but it's very clear that he he does there's a part of him that does care about this stuff you know there's a part of him that 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 does feel bad when people call him shit because he's expressed that in several of his movies that he's written. Yeah, and I think important to me is the idea that specifically the industry fucking hates him. They're yes. trying to use him for money. And when he rightfully says, no, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't sound like a movie I want to be in. Because it's fucking Candyland. Of course he doesn't want to be in fucking Candyland. 
but for enough money, he'll do it. And then they say, no, we're going to pay you this much and blah, blah, blah. And then they're upset that he brings his people with him who help him write the scripts and produce the movies and make everything. Um, there, there's this constant idea um, that Adam Sandler is a one-man show that has carried his friends along. And I'm, I'm now sick of the idea. His friends are the people who let him do these things. Alan Covert has been producing and writing and having like uh, uncredited writing stuff on so many of these movies based on, you know, another resource I've been using. Um, there's internal dialogue at Sony where they're trying to get out of paying Alan Covert for a movie. When I saw that he emailed the same lady a year before for so they tried to not pay him for a producer fee for a sequel, even though he helped rewrite the original script for the first movie, which went on to make like $300 million. And then the one they tried to not pay him, a $100,000 fee, which, yeah, for me is an astounding amount of money, but not when this film that he's trying to get a producer's fee makes $445 million. Like, Yeah, I mean, I think that's what the whole point of Funny People was. Yeah, you know, it's it's that you don't make comedy in a vacuum. You're constantly being inspired by other things and other people. Um, and I think for the Happy Madison team, it's it's not just about inspiration. It's about like, okay, let me help pitch you this joke. Let me help you with this, even if it isn't credited. Yeah, it's the environment because there's funny environments and then there's non-funny environments. And Sony doesn't feel like a very funny environment. Yeah, um, whereas like. And, and everyone, if, if you're having trouble understanding that idea, think about the one friend you have where you can't stop ripping, riffing off each other and you start making more and more weird jokes. Like you, on, on this podcast, you've heard, for me, it's my friend Ben or my friend Joe. We get way too deep down stupid rabbit holes that make no sense but make us laugh. And Jess does this with her sister all the time, and I have to, I don't know what's going on most of the time when they're talking. <laughs> um, they always made references to Shrek, and I can't stand it. Nah, Jackie gets Jess. mad about my Shrek. It's just me. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And that's actually, we bond over time about how, like, it's weird how much you like Shrek. But I yeah. Get- so at the end of this, at the end of the Jack and Jill story, we've been talking for an hour and a half, the running time of this movie. People are still going to think it's bad. And I get that, and that's fine. You there might even be people who think that we are not being sincere. Yeah. I, I, I don't know about you, Alex, but I have, like, all of the things I've been saying about these Adam Sandler movies up to this point have been sincere. The ones I've liked, I've liked. The ones I haven't liked, I haven't liked. And yeah. I know that our tagline for this podcast is the only podcast that doesn't hate Adam Sandler yet. I think we can get rid of the, rid of the yet. I, uh, if I didn't <laughs> hate this movie, I don't hate Adam Sandler. Oh. Uh- I'll I'll wait the next twenty days. I think I'm I'm fine to do so, but it, you could be hard pressed to make me dislike this guy. Um, honestly, I find the issues to be with the industry. Um, there's a and there's issues with society, <laughs> obviously. And the thing is, you can hate it, and that's fine. But Adam Sandler making a bad movie that everyone hates brings more joy to this world than the average person ever will. And that's like a strange idea to me. People really like to hate movies. And in this movie, he made a movie everyone can agree to hate. And a few 3%. um, I don't like that percentage. But, 
you know, let's say two and a half percent rounded up <laughs> can enjoy. And maybe a few of them enjoy for the reasons they're portraying. Or maybe, or maybe they randomly threw all these references and blended it up and got lucky. I, maybe. Who knows? I don't know. As he says in two movies, two also very pivotal movies, who is going to bring you joy when I'm gone? Adam Sandler does bring a lot of happiness to people's lives. I am not going to defend his problematic movies. I said that in episode zero. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to defend the problematic elements. But but at the same time, I think uh-huh. to to say something like this is the most racist movie I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, I mean, especially like given Red Letter Media's own problematic nature. Uh, I, I don't know anything about them, so. They've made some very p- p- distasteful jokes. Oh, okay. Oh, they, yeah. They dropped uh, the R slur like three times in that review. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the the point is, like, I want you to imagine like years and years and years from now when Adam Sandler does die. Are, there are going to be a whole bunch of posts about like, oh, R.I.P. Adam Sandler. People are going to get super sappy over it, mm-hmm. you know, because he, a lot of his movies do, despite some of their controversy, make people really happy. Mm-hmm. And and for for me, I mean, I think that I have, I mean, I consider myself a fan right now. Yeah. Um, I did not think that at this point in the podcast, I would like these movies, um, but I've been I've been happily surprised. I certainly didn't think we were going to find this much stuff to talk about. And I, like I said a couple episodes pr- prior too, like I'm starting to see these tie-ins, and it does make the movies more enjoyable. I think if I saw this movie first, I wouldn't have liked it. Oh, um, I I remember I walked out of this movie before. I didn't like it, and I think that's a fair criticism. That unfortunately, this is the infinite jest of Adam Sandler comedies. You need to come in ready to read the footnotes to understand what's going on. It's post post postmodernism. It's not fair to push on your average consumer, maybe, but you know, when you spell it out in funny people and people hate it anyway, fuck it. <laughs> do what you want. He's, I would do he, the same. I mean, if I could get someone to pay me seventy nine million dollars to make a movie, he got twenty million dollars for this movie. Yeah. Which I think is fair. He wrote it, he produced it, he starred in it twice. Yeah. Um, and then the $59 million went to, you know, the cost of the movie and paying everyone mm-hmm. else. But And how much did the movie make again? $149 million. So, case in point. Yeah. So, w- whether or not he's, like, making fun of critics or if he's making fun of his fans or he's making fun of us for reading into things too deeply. I mean, I, th- I think that this movie is saying a lot about how he feels about criticism in general. And the answer is, he doesn't care. He he loves that side of him, mm-hmm. and he is going to embrace it. Even if at times he feels shame about that side of him. Like, we all feel shame in the things we love. I have no shame over my love for Shrek, Alex. I cannot believe that you're implying that. I spent ten years being berated for my love of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> You've said this on this podcast I know, before. <laughs> and I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to let people just fucking get away with it. Now he's the most popular man in the world. I'm glad because I'm glad everyone else realizes how good he was. But I'm also like, go back and watch his old shit, guys. It was fun. The Matrix is the best movie of all time. The whole trilogy, too. Don't give Oh, the second and third one weren't even very good. 
I know I already said Jack and Jill is good, so you don't care about my opinion. But the second, third one were good also, and you probably don't fucking get it. Also, being red pilled means you're taking estrogen, you idiot right wingers. God, I hate it. <laughs> so, yeah, 40 episodes in. I'm not, ex- I am where I thought I was going to be. I'm starting to crack. I'm getting angry every time I become ranty. Um, this is a side of me I actually very much like, believe it or not. But I'm not angry at Adam Sandler, and I'm not angry at the quality of these movies. I'm angry at everyone who didn't let it try. They didn't give it a shot. And I always get angry at this idea where people don't let creators try things, and they get upset at new things, and they want the same thing remade. Um, And I hate the nihilism of, like, Michael Bay's work that just cares so little about what they're putting out. Mm -hmm. Um, Except for weird, like, pedophile propaganda. Yes, yeah. Ugh. Uh, that that part's very strange. And, well, I was going to say, and there there's something good about pulpy, easy-to-digest fun every once in a while. Um, and people should stop hating on that just because they are cynical now. I used to be yeah. cynical, too. But, like, hey, try to be less cynical. It's a lot more fun. Except about politics. Stay cynical about politics. That's true. That's very true. Uh, there's oh. something that we, we are remiss to not add, um, and it has to do with our favorite comedy sketch show. Oh, yes. I can't believe I didn't recognize this. Uh, right, you did, though. You, pa- you, yes. you paused it. But the bathroom attendant in this movie is also the focus group car guy in I Think You Should Leave. Um, I Think You Should Leave Now. Now. Featuring Tim Robinson. Um, and... Of course, this is the best sketch comedy show of all time, or you will hate every second of it. Um, and you would be wrong if you fall into the latter category. It's just the truth. It's, yeah. it, the, 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 it's, it's terrific. It's a terrific sketch comedy show. But uh, Ruben Rabasa, who is also uh, the, my team in fantasy football, is called the Ruben Rabasa Raiders. Um, oh, I like it. Yeah. Is needs to be a household name he's one of the funniest people i've ever seen um and in my opinion this movie has everything i i did christopher walken let me try that again give me give me a sec i need to uh while he's doing that because he's he's gonna he's gonna try to listen to it and try to get the voice right um are you you not cutting that out what the fuck no of course not you flinched, Paul. Now you have to marry your mother-in-law. Uh, anyway, do we have uh, anything else we want to say here? No, you can end it. <laughs> you can uh, find our podcast at Laugh at Him Pod on Twitter. Uh, thank you again for listening. It, it does mean a lot that you listen to our our Adam Sandler ramblings. Believe it or not, Alex and I don't actually talk a lot about Adam Sandler when we're not doing this podcast. Except, uh, like, except for today, actually. We talked a lot about this movie. Yeah, we did. Uh, well, yeah, we actually try not to talk about the the stuff before we get on the podcast. We don't do a lot of planning beforehand. Uh, we just have a document. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in our daily lives, other than a couple of references here and there, um, I, I do. Sometimes I, I find myself thinking, like, I am spending a lot of time talking about these movies, but I, I do find it very fun and worthwhile, and it's it's been a fun project to work on with Alex, and I'm sure I'll, I'll get a little sappier when we 
get to episode 60, but uh, you would be doing us a big favor if you liked and subscribed to this podcast, if you gave us a rating, and if you shared uh, this podcast on your social media, um, it, it would it would actually help us out a lot. And I'll, I'll pitch it for you. Uh, tweet out, listen to this, these idiots think Jack and Jill was a good movie? What? And then have a gif of like Pikachu being like, ugh. Yeah. Um, and it, if you could also use our special hashtag, hashtag release the Sandler cut. Um, yeah. That would be very helpful. Yeah, um, we're, we're trying to see the three-hour grown-ups uh, original cut. Yeah, we need to see it. Um, mm-hmm. I, we also want to, at this moment, uh, well, I'm not going to give that away because there's another podcast that probably wants to keep that a secret. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, we, but, we got secrets in the Sandlerverse now, which we will reveal at a later time if they don't do will. it. Yes. Um, you can find our games at wannabegames.com. We are primarily game designers, um, believe it or not. If, do we have a meta game? Yeah, we have a meta game. It's yep. called, uh, what's that game called? The Game Designers. Yes, The Game Designers. Which is actually also a reference to the producers. Um, and you make a purposely bad game um, over a Zoom uh, video teleconferencing. Um, yeah. It's technically a LARP. But what you do is you sit down, you have a 40 minute timer, and no matter what, by the time you're done, you have to have a game that you and your friends pitch together. Um, or people you hate, either way, doesn't matter. You work together, be a professional. Um, yes. And it's a fun time. Try it out. It's free. Uh, have we not mentioned that? Unless you're getting Moonpunk, our big game, um, which is good. Everything else we mentioned is free. Uh, we Except, just... Yeah, everything we've mentioned. Three Threads is not free, and nor is my game, This Game Will Self-Destruct, or This mm-hmm. Message Will Self-Destruct. But other than that, everything's free. Yeah. So yeah, if that was stopping you, we have a bunch of free games. Go try them out. Yeah, free. Go down a little. Um, yeah, uh, you can also support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash wannabegames, uh, but don't, don't, don't give us money. Give money to the Bill Project and to the Trevor Project. I've actually recommended the Trevor Project to a couple people this week. Um, and you can see me tweet about how stunned I am that I enjoyed this movie at, at Joska. Um, and you can see me tweet about, I think, hating corporations is what I'm out about right now. <laughs> um, at Kitty Crusade. Uh, and I found someone um, did like a fake language translator for this movie. Right, Alex? Did oh, you know this? I did <laughs> with not. the twin language? Hit me with it. Yeah. So, okay. I want you to guess what this means. Uk Magadodo. Bomgi Kimojongi. Bani Para Rumpelnickel Pumpernickel. Parakaya Uk Magadodo. I think that means that adam sandler was jar jar binks the whole time no it means take my wife please